Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for week one of our Search for Happiness series, where we're going to be looking at themes like thankfulness and contentment. We're coming out of a six-week series in Job, and as we kind of look towards Thanksgiving, this three-week series is going to highlight relevant and important topics that we really need to talk about, really topics surrounding happiness, because happiness means something different to different people. Many in our modern context attempt to find happiness through things like material possessions, or a new job, or even a significant other. In the end, though, these things often lead us to places that are just empty. The search for happiness flips this approach on its head, detailing the importance of putting our focus on the person of Jesus as well as our walk with him. This alone will bring us lasting joy and contentment. So let us start off by looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6-10, through 10, and I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. It says this starting in verse 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And that's where our scripture will end. But our main idea really uh, in culture really focuses on the things that we don't have. God calls us, however, to focus on the things that we do have, or on His spiritual provision, not material wealth. What the church believes will shape what it lives. I'm going to say that again. What the church believes will shape what it lives. We must be loving, serving, and sold out to Jesus. The truth is, if we do not chase after wealth, we can be content with what God has given us. But if we find our own satisfaction in what we can project or buy or hoard, it's going to lead us, lead us to live out of a false self. So, what is Paul's big idea in writing to Timothy? Well, first of all, Timothy was a young co-worker with Paul. Paul had visited Lystra, where he met Timothy's mother and his grandmother. Paul was totally impressed by Timothy's passion and his devotion to Jesus. This was no doubt passed down to him from his grandparents. So Paul mentored him for many, many years, and after this mentorship, Paul sent Timothy on a mission to serve some churches that he had started, and his first stop on this is in Ephesus. Now think about this. Paul heard about a group of leaders that had infiltrated the influential church in Ephesus, spreading incorrect views about who the character of Jesus was. And so the book of Timothy is an answer to that request. It is incredible how Paul was able to keep such good tabs on the churches that he had started. And keep in mind, there's no social media in these days. So he definitely had his ear to the ground. But the book of Timothy is six chapters linked together with three poems that always exalt the risen Jesus as king of the world. The key to this book is that Jesus is over all things. Always. In chapter 6, Paul calls Timothy to confront corrupt teachers within the church. 
Paul exposes their motive, and it's easy to figure out. He says they actually are in conflict because they make lots of money by accumulating followers and charging them high rates. They were basically saying God says pay for teachers well, and also by the way we accept credit cards. Simply said, they betrayed Jesus' message of contentment and simple living. So Paul instructs the wealthy Ephesian Christians to be rich in good works and act generously. He encourages them to act as people who submit all their resources to King Jesus, inspiring a final poem of how the true king will rule over all others. And First Timothy is critical to our learning of contentment as we gain a holistic vision of the nature and mission of the church. What a Jesus community believes in will directly shape how its community lives and behaves. So its theology or belief about God must be constantly formed by the scripture and the good news about Jesus. Think about what's important to, let's say, your church or your congregation, or even to you personally. I know in my context, in my context it's very much uh, the Salvation Army. And some things that are important to us are, for instance, like our 11 doctrines, which really have to do about believing that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament were given by inspiration of God, or that there's three persons in the Godhead, or maybe that we're justified by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, or that our continuance in the state of salvation depends upon continued obedient faith in Christ. But some other things that maybe were important are things like position statements, but mostly I think what's really important to us is that we grow in Christ-likeness, that we become a holy people, and that we serve the earth's most vulnerable populations. At the same time, how the church is perceived is super important too, right? Christians should be people that are full of integrity and known for really good works. We should be known for serving the poor and the most vulnerable out of their devotion to the risen king. And this is what 1 Timothy really is all about. So in light of everything that we've talked about so far in 1 Timothy chapter 6, think about these questions. How have you seen maybe preachers or pastors preach a distorted message regarding wealth and prosperity? And unfortunately, if we're honest, we've probably seen a lot of this. Second question is, what are some ways you can begin to practice thankfulness daily? How can you use what God has blessed you with for his kingdom? And lastly, if God calls us to focus on eternal riches, why is it still so hard for us not to focus on them? I think it's because verse 9 deals with this. Verse 9 speaks of people who desire to be rich. And if we're honest, many of us desire not to struggle. We don't necessarily maybe aspire to be wealthy, but we aspire not to struggle. And rather than focusing on what they did have, like things like food and clothing or the grace of God, these wealthy uh, people that Paul is writing about, um, instead to, they chose to focus on what they did not have. And this is one of the several examples we read throughout the scripture of this kind of attitude. It keeps coming up over and over again. In the Old Testament, we see it in a few people like Lot or Haman or even King David are great examples of what not to do concerning excess and wealth. But it is also important to note that having wealth is not sinful. Uh, We can have a problem, however, when we become so focused on becoming rich that we allow ourselves to fall into temptation. So as with many things in life, money 
is very much a two-sided object. It can be used for God's glory on one hand, but it can also lead to our downfall on the other. And here's a few Proverbs concerning money. Proverbs 10.4 says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 12.11 says, Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. And lastly, Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And I love that last one, kind of again, talking about what we do in the context of our neighbor and about being centered as a Jesus community. But I think the central problem that we often have when we read scriptures regarding money or wealth is that we really don't see it as a problem. Tim Keller says it so well. He says, as a pastor, I've, I've had people come to me and confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin imaginable. Almost. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me, though, and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, or the people around me. Greed hides itself from the victim. So when you look at God's economy, one of the things we really have to be careful of is we can be very blind to our own heart. So my question is, have you ever tried to spot a counterfeit dollar bill? Have you ever also thought about what it takes to actually even spot one? It's interesting that when federal agents are trained to spot counterfeit money, they don't study counterfeits. They instead study the real thing. They spend hours looking at one and five and ten and twenty, fifty and a hundred dollar bills. You see, if they learn to know what's authentic, then they will also learn to spot what's not authentic. And in the same way, we as Christians should spend our time studying Christ. As we study Him more, it'll be easier to spot beliefs and behaviors that don't produce an authentic faith in us. Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who lived a life of contentment and sacrifice. For instance, we even hear this in the Gospels, that foxes have holes and the birds of heaven have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was totally okay with doing his father's business, even if it meant he didn't have a stable home. In the same way, our focus as believers should be eternal rather than temporary. If our attention is on Christ and his riches, even if that means poverty or suffering, we ultimately receive the greatest reward possible, which is eternity in his presence. So back to our questions. What are some ways that you can begin to practice thankfulness daily? How can you use what God has blessed you with for his kingdom? And lastly, if God calls us to focus on eternal riches, why is it so hard for us to focus on worldly riches? Whenever uh, I kind of think about this, I think back to an opportunity I had several years ago before I started uh, in professional ministry. I know that we were on a staff retreat uh, in central Arkansas, and we had went to this Benedictine monastery called Subiaco. And I know that um, really the only rule of the whole day was we're to go there, we're to be alone, we're to spend time uh, in quiet, uh, kind of reflecting on what God has done. And to be quite frank and honest with you, I had a very difficult time doing this. I'm like, how am I going to be able to sit a whole afternoon and just soak up what God's trying to tell me? 
I know that um, I had ended up um, kind of venturing out a little bit. It was a very nice kind of summer day. Um, and I had got kind of a higher spot, uh, actually in a cemetery, and kind of overlooked this field where uh, this monk was actually on a tractor, and he was baling hay. And I know that as I kind of watched him, um, he was diligent at work, and then the bell would chime a few times, and then he would actually stop his work, he would pull out his Bible, and he would read just right there on the tractor. And I know the bell would chime again, and then he'd put his Bible up, and then he'd go back to working. Kind of also in the same vantage point that I was sitting at, I looked over and I actually saw this monk beekeeping. Kind of same type story. He was keeping bees, he was harvesting honey, uh, cutting comb, and doing all of those type things. Same thing. The bell would chime. He would stop. He would read his Bible. He would reorient himself. And then he would go back to work once the bell had chimed again. And this made a profound impact on me that no matter what I'm doing in life, I can always pause and reorient myself back to God, back to his presence, back to his kingship, uh, back to his leading and spirits leading in my life. And I know that really that's what the book of 1 Timothy is really after, that we don't have to chase contentment. We don't have to find it in objects or or power or things or relationships. Really, we can find it in contentment. We can find it in service. And believe it or not, we can even find it in suffering. But I do know that uh, I believe that's one of the key, really key themes in this book. And I do know that uh, as we kind of reflect on this and think a little bit more, I think one of the keys is to becoming content, becoming thankful, that it's not a chasing after it's a pausing and reorienting ourselves towards God and His presence, and that will put things in focus. Because if we're waiting for the next item, uh, the next paycheck, the next relationship, uh, the next thing, you kind of insert it in the blank there, um, it's always going to be, as Ecclesiastes says, it's going to be a chasing after the wind. It's going to be vanity. And I know that that's so encouraging that we see the words of Paul to young Timothy here in, in this uh, really uh, poetic book talking about actually combating false teachers. But the interesting thing we see is that we can be content in God's presence alone. And I hope that that provides you great encouragement today, knowing that we have everything we need. Uh, we have God, we have His forgiveness, we have His grace, we have His peace and His mercy. We have a relationship with him, and these are the things that really, really matter. And so, thank you for joining us for week one of our search for happiness. Feel free to come back and join us for week two in our search for happiness. And again, thank you for joining us uh, at the Salvation Army of Hot Springs. Have a great day, and feel free to leave any comments in the comment section. Take care, and God bless.